Judges chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 10. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And the word of God reads, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Perez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, I know that's not exactly a passage that you expect to hear on the first Sunday of New Year's. Right? Generally, we want to sit here and think about something encouraging, something very, very celebratory, right? New Year's full of fireworks of planning and setting expectations for yourself, some that may or may not get accomplished, but we set them nonetheless. We call them resolutions. These high standards we set for ourselves, think about them. Well, in 2022, I pledge that I'm going to exercise every day of the year and get healthy. Uh, in 2022, I'm going to eat right. There will be no late night snacking for me. In 2022, I'm finally going to lose that weight I've been saying I've been going to lose for the last 20 years. This time... I'm going to do it. Maybe none of that's you. Maybe you don't come up with fancy resolutions like that. But chances are you do think about things. Things that happened in the past. Things that you know that you probably should do better. But when you think about those things, I ask you how many of them have anything to do with the mission of God. Sure, losing weight is an honorable thing. I myself want to drop a few pounds, but that is not my resolution this year. Exercising every day is once again a very, very good thing, but chances are that's just not going to happen now, is it? My knees are a little too old to maintain that. All of these resolutions that we find and we hear, both in our own homes and 
outside of our home are so far from God and his mission that it makes me wonder if we've missed it. It makes me wonder if we've forgotten why he called us out. It makes me wonder if maybe we're too concerned with the world and less concerned about Jesus. There's a statistic. Do what you want with statistics. I, being in the healthcare profession, know you can make a statistic say whatever you want it to say. But nevertheless, a statistic is floating around that over the years, children were brought up within the church when they go off to college, anywhere from 60 to 80% of those kids, they fall away. They don't attend church. Some would even no longer identify as Christians. When I think about that, I wonder, I say to myself, well, 18 years, of a godly upbringing destroyed in one semester at a secular university? Something doesn't quite add up now, does it? 18 years of being poured into, 18 years of being trained up in Christ, All for naught, because one teacher at a university raises a question they can't answer? I don't think that really adds up. Rather than blaming the universities, rather than blaming everyone outside of our homes and outside of our circles and our churches? Have we ever thought to look at ourselves? Have we ever thought to say, what is it that I am teaching and pouring into and training my children up in? Because last I checked, God's word does not return empty. And yet the children who are falling away, let's just be honest, they are empty. Because the seed that was planted was not the seed of the word. It wasn't that seed that fell on good soil and produced 30, 60, 100 fold. It was probably seeds of thorns and weeds. It was probably some dandelion seeds we held up and just kind of blew at them. That's scary, isn't it? It's frightening. In this passage, 
were introduced, though this is not where they're introduced in Scripture, but we see three different groups. We see Joshua. We see the elders who were in Joshua's day and yet outlived him. And then we see that next generation. Let's take some time and think about Joshua and who he is. I think we would agree that Joshua was a man who was called by God. Do y'all agree with that? I think we would also agree that God placed Joshua under the wing of Moses to be trained, trained by a godly man, another man who was called a servant of God. And so not only was Joshua called by God, not only was Joshua, in essence, trained by God through Moses and prepared for what was to come, but God God preserved Joshua through all of the battles that he took on. Joshua saw with his own eyes the faithfulness of God. Joshua experienced in his own life what his name means. Does anybody know what Joshua means? Yahweh is my salvation. God saves. It's Jesus. Right? Only in Hebrew and not Greek. He experienced the salvation of the Lord throughout all of this time. He was told of the wonders of God in Egypt. We don't know his age, but he may have experienced it himself. And he himself lived in a way that showed, that displayed, that put in front of everyone what faith and trust in the one true God looks like. He served as an example. He was a godly man who stood before the people, who proclaimed the good news. And who challenged them to be likewise. Before this passage at the end of Joshua, we read about him gathering all the elders of the tribes of Israel and placing before them an ultimatum to choose this day who they would serve. And the same godly man, the same Joshua, proclaims boldly who he and his house would serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now these elders, what do you think they said? Yeah, 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 us too. We, we, we will serve the Lord also. But what did they leave out? 
Joshua said, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The elders, they said, yep. We will serve the Lord too. Something's missing. Because they too witnessed these victories in battle. They too saw God's saving hand when the armies were far bigger than they were. They too saw the walls of Jericho fall. And they too pledged to serve the Lord. But what happens when that godly man dies? What happens when the one you look to as your example is no longer standing before you? I'll bring it a little closer to home. What happens when grandmother or grandfather, when mom or dad are no longer with us, the glue that held everything together? What happens when God calls them home? Well, their brothers and their sisters, you know, that generation that kind of outlived them. Oh, they're still faithful. They still serve God with gladness. It's something gets left behind. Something gets forgotten. And when they too pass on, when they too get called home to the Lord, what's left? In Deuteronomy, God commands the people to take this law, take all of these remembrances and hold them ever before your children. To teach it to them. Practice these observances and, and, and when they ask you what it means, oh, how great an opportunity is that for you to now take that and turn their gaze toward God. And speak of how wondrous his salvation is. How glorious it was to be freed from the bondage of slavery. How the very enemies of God were drowned in the Red Sea. How for 40 years our people walked and trekked through the wilderness. And yet our clothes didn't tear. Our feet didn't grow weary. And how though there were a land full of pagans and enemies, this meager people, God took and conquered his enemies. We have fields we don't have to plant because God provides. 
We have houses we didn't have to build because God provides. We have peace on every side because he is our protector. Oh, throughout all of our history, we have seen God working. And even in our own lives, we have seen his hand working. Something tells me that this generation, though they themselves witnessed the goodness of God in a mighty way, though they themselves saw miracles happen, though they themselves experienced firsthand the salvation of the Lord, I think they thought it was just for them. I think they thought it was all about them. The weird thing about the book of Judges is at the beginning, the people are defeated. Doesn't really make sense, does it? God says that He is going to give us this land, our inheritance, that which he promised to our father Abraham. He's giving it to us. We just have to go and take it. I think they got caught up. Focused so much on everything else. Focused so much on what's around them. Getting the land, enjoying this milk and honey that overflows. The brand new house that I won't have to build. And they forgot that this was a byproduct of a faithful God. This was his promise. And it was conditioned. We read in the New Testament, seek ye first. What are we supposed to seek first? Kingdom of God. We are to seek God and his righteousness. Who was it that commanded these observances? Who was it that placed before the people all of these opportunities to remember his goodness? Who was it? that implemented these modes of worship? Who was it that offered the people the sacrificial system to atone for their sins? Who is it that we should be seeking first? Oh, the first of the year, the great reminder. Are we, in fact, seeking God and his mission first? Now, before you go on your phones and start erasing your resolution, I want you to ask yourself where your heart is. 
Is your heart with God? Are we, are we seeking Him to know Him, to experience Him in all of life? And are we so consumed with His mission that we are willing to pursue it at all costs? Are we okay with losing that we might win Him? Are we okay with looking foolish to the world and yet live as sons of the King? Are we so wrapped up in our own wisdom, our own pride, our own strength? that we fail to see God and his mission. If we could summarize God's mission, I think we could say it would be to multiply image bearers, right? Those who look like Christ throughout all the world to make disciples great commission. We can go through the Gospels and we can see the, the, the different renditions of the Great Commission. And in Acts, we see that it starts in this little circle. It starts in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. But yet we forget about home. We forget about our own observance of the goodness of God. We forget to direct our own children to the wonders of God in their life. You see, the remembrance is not just the past. The remembrance is not just what God did in Egypt. The remembrance is not just bringing us back to creation and those six wonderful Days displaying his power and might. The remembrance even brings us to today. Where we see the grace of God in our own eyes opening up. Where when we turn to the side of the bed and place our feet on ground and stand, we can say, thank you, Lord. When we walk to the fridge, pull out some juice or some milk, and see all the food he has provided over the years, we can say thank you. When we were late for church this morning, and we're speeding down the road, trying our best to get there on time, and God protected us from an accident. We can see his goodness. You see, there won't always be someone as pronounced, someone as 
public, someone as obviously a servant of God to stand before us and operate as that example. I think today's a a really good illustration of that. We have a wonderful pastor who couldn't be here today, though he desires to be here. But yet that wonderful pastor doesn't feel as though the word of God is his and his alone. That wonderful pastor recognizes that at times someone else needs to feed the flock because he is incapable of doing so. And likewise, you and I have to feed the same flocks of God in our homes because there won't always be a Joshua, a Dan Smetana, a you-pick-the-name to feed you and to feed your children. But you have a responsibility based on God's word and his command to disciple your home, to disciple your churches, to disciple those whom God has placed in your life. There should never be an excuse cast on anything or anybody outside of you as to why your family isn't disciples, as to why your children have fallen away. What are we filling them up with? What are we doing? In that generation, all that generation, verse 10, were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. Who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. You know, this concept of knowing knowing the Lord. What does it mean? Does it just mean I rattle off some verses? Is it some intellectual exercise? Right? Yes, God exists because the earth exists or because anything exists and if something exists, something had to exist before it, but who's the the first to exist. Right? You're going through this, this huge cycle trying to justify the existence of God. Prove it. Is that what it means to know God? Or is it the way the Lord himself describes it? This intimate knowing. This being taken into his arms, this 
knowing the way well, the way he describes it as us as his people being his bride and him protecting us and providing for us and loving us and caring for us despite our own adulterous behavior. Even though we're running so far away, he still takes us back. Even when we don't even look as though we belong to anyone, he still calls us his own. What does it mean to know God? To experience his love. To see his compassion, his patience, his long-suffering towards us. Day in, day out. They didn't know. They didn't know God. And to make it even worse, they didn't even know the works he had done. The history. That which is in Scripture. At this time, obviously, they have the Pentateuch. They didn't even know that. Let alone the stories we hear around the dinner table. Oh, the opportunities we have around the table to speak of the goodness of God. And they knew nothing. What were the priorities of that generation that outlasted Joshua? If their own children knew not the goodness of God. There was a story told. I first heard it when H.B. Charles Jr. was explaining a point. And I like the story, so I'm going to share it with you. There was a town. And in this town, there were some bank robbers. I'm calling them bank robbers because, well, they were casing out a bank to rob. And this bank was impenetrable. I mean, there was security all around the perimeter. There was no way they were going to break into this bank. Any efforts they had were futile. Until one day, they came up with this great idea. They would set fire to the stables. And when that fire got set, those robbers ran out of the city so that the sheriff and the law enforcement would chase after them. And when they had all run off chasing after the criminals, the robbers who were left behind had free reign of the bank. Now, what do you think the moral of that story is? Always protect the bank. 
if I protect the bank, I can build new stables. But if the bank gets robbed, then the town gets destroyed. If the bank gets robbed, who do the people go to when they need help, when they need a, a loan? If I let the stables get raised to the ground, at least I know the town will be fine. But if I don't protect the bank, then it really didn't matter what I did earlier, did it? All of that security I had before it was a waste of time, was it not? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I plead with you, protect the bank. Those whom God has entrusted in your care, pour into them the words that God has giving, given us. Speak to them about the wondrous works of our Lord, about his faithfulness, not just at the beginning, but its faithfulness even today, even right now. Protect that bank so that when thieves and robbers try to get in, they have no entry point. When the world starts to hammer on questions, the children have an answer. They're not shaken. Because those same questions, those same experiences, those same opportunities to introduce doubt mean nothing because they have a firm foundation in the Word. They themselves have grown to know God. Not just about him, but to know him and to know the works that he does for his people in all generations. That's our responsibility. And before you say it, because I already know saying, well, how can I do any of that perfectly? It's not your job to do it perfectly. By God's grace, he has given us an advocate, a comforter, the spirit of Christ who dwells in us. So awesome that it says we won't even need anybody to teach us. That doesn't mean we don't teach our children, but just that his spirit will let us know discernment, truth from error. By his grace, we know when something doesn't quite sound right. We know when somebody's trying to introduce something that doesn't quite fit. And we pray that throughout that process, our children would come to us and say, Mom, Say, Dad, here's what I heard at school today. Now, this is how I responded. 
What do you think? And as we hear how our own children are quoting Scripture better than we ever could, we can see the goodness of God carried over to the next generation. You know, we have fun during the catechism. We joke around and the children seem to enjoy it, but I cannot tell you how many times I've stood here astounded at how the youngest of these children know the word of God. That is a testament to both the biological parents of those children and the mothers and brothers and sisters, as Jesus says, who are all around us, those who love our Father. Let's not let that die. For when you and I, a generation who call Christ King, a generation who have experienced the goodness of God, a generation who knows him, When we're out of the picture, when we're that church triumphant, the ones who are in his presence and our children are still militant on this earth, fighting the good fight. Let's pray that they're equipped with the same goodness of God that we too are equipped. Let's pray that their efforts reflect generations of God's people pouring into the next generation by his grace. Let's pray that their lives are as changed by the finished work of Christ as ours are. And until then, Let's continue to direct their gaze to the cross of Christ. Knowing that we ourselves are undeserving of his mercies. And yet his love for us endures. Today, one of those observances will be front and center, one that we have been commanded to keep, the Lord's Supper, where we see the broken body of our Lord and the shed blood of our Lord, blood that marks a new covenant, a covenant that goes out not just to 12 disciples in Judea, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. A covenant that is impartial. A covenant that doesn't care what country you're from. A covenant that doesn't care the shade or tone or color of your skin the gender that God made you, a covenant that is eternal, 
that will not perish. A covenant marked in the self-giving sacrifice of the Son of God to atone for the sins of all who would call him Lord. That's important. These observances are important. And explaining those to our children and taking these opportunities are important. So what's your resolution for 2022? Is it still to lose weight? Or to eat right? Stop late night snacking? Or is it to both know and be known of God and to pass that on to future generations? Because I promise you that's his mission. For it's he who makes himself known to us. And likewise, he desires that all might know him. Let's pray. Most gracious God and Father, Lord, we are thankful that though we are undeserving, O Lord, you, by your grace, have made yourself known to us. You have revealed yourself to us. And not only that, O oh God, you have called us by name, drawn us to yourself, indwelled us by your spirit, justified us before your throne of judgment, adopted us into your house. and called us your sons and your daughters. Lord, you have married us to your Son, Christ our Lord. And we serve in his kingdom, which will endure forever. And we are thankful. Lord, thankful that you have blessed so many of us with not just knowledge, but experience. Lord, experience of your goodness, experience of your grace, experience that we can shout about at the mountaintop and we can most certainly speak about around our tables at home. We ask, O oh Lord, that our lives be so consumed with your mission that we be so aware, Lord, of your hand, of your work, that in all that we say, do, or think, that it be soaked with gospel truth, that it would heighten, Lord, the curiosity of the children of the next generation and that all of us, all who you have called by name, 
to be willing to open our minds and speak and recall your goodness. Recall your work in the lives of your people. Share in these observances, Lord, of your salvation and teach the next generation. Father, we know that we cannot do it perfectly. And if we're honest, God, we know that our desires may not be where they ought. But we pray now, O oh Father, that you would stir up in us a yearning to see others, Lord, grow in the wisdom and knowledge of you. To see, to see the youth, to see those, Lord, who are still outside of the kingdom bow the knee to Christ. Shed their armor, which you'll shatter anyway, you God. Drop their weapons and come to you in humble submission, surrendering to Christ and being welcomed with open arms. Thank you, O Lord, for your tender mercies and your irresistible grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.